And God, we thank you that indeed you are faithful. That when we are unfaithful, you are steady. When we run from you, you pursue us. God, thank you that that is our hope. Not that we will be perfect, not that we will be without sin, but that when we turn back to you, your arms are always open. And so this morning, God, we wanna come arms open, heart open, able to receive from you. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would indeed do what only you can do this morning. That as we sit in your word, you would speak to our hearts and then give us courage to respond. And all God's people said amen. Amen. Good morning. My name is Suzanne Vogel, and I am uh, the lead pastor here at The Bridge. If you are new and visiting with us this morning, we are so glad to have you. And we'd invite you to stop over by our Welcome Center after the service so that we can say a hello to you in a special way. Now, if you, this is your first time with us, we have been in the book of Philippians for the last several weeks, talking about what it means to, look, what it means to live a life of faith. And as I was preparing for our passage this morning, I stumbled a couple, across a couple diary entries that made me think of Paul. Now, take a deep breath. They are not my children's. I would never do that. Uh, they were, in fact, the diary of a couple of our household beloved pets. So we'll start with the diary of a dog. Now, uh, because our dog writes small, I'll have to read for you what he wrote. 8 o'clock a.m., dog food, my favorite thing. 9.30 a.m., a car ride, my favorite thing. 10.30, getting played with and petted, my favorite thing. 12 p.m., lunch, my favorite thing. 1 o'clock, played in the yard, my favorite thing, right? 3 p.m., chased my tail, my favorite thing. Five o'clock, milk bones. My thing. Seven p.m., TV with my people. My favorite thing. Eleven p.m., sleeping on the bed. My favorite thing. Very good. Now, of course, uh, the cat is a vlog because cats, you know, of course, have a little more savvy in technology. So I'll let you listen in on the vlog of a cat. Dear Diary, the authorities have removed a pair of black pants from the couch. There is no longer any place for me to sleep. I have vomited three times in protest, but there is no sign that anything will change. My only other hope for rest is on the computer keyboard, which is nearby, but sadly no one is currently using it. I will wait. Dear Diary, my food dish is now only half full. It is obvious that I will soon starve to death. I have repeatedly tried to draw attention to my predicament with the authorities, but they are clearly either stupid, deaf, or just cruel. This may be my last entry. <laughs> Anybody relate? I love it. Same situation, different attitude. And, you know, the reason that reminds me of Paul is because Paul is writing this letter from a prison cell. He is under 
possible death sentence. He has been shipwrecked. He has been beaten. He has been misunderstood. And this man speaks of joy and endurance and perseverance. And if my latte is too cold, I am grumpy. If I have to park further than I want at Target, if a child happens to hide a remote, all of these things very quickly move me into anger and frustration. And I suspect I'm not the only one. Now, we've been working our way through Philippians, and today Paul is going to get practical. He's going to get very nitty-gritty. And so I would encourage you to listen this morning, because today is not complicated. But Paul is going to talk about what it means to live a life where we stand firm even in the midst of the most challenging situations. So, if you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to open it up to Philippians 4, verse 1. We're going to read through chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's fine. Just follow along on the screens. Now, we're going to begin in verse 1, which is kind of a swing verse. It's a transition from what came before, and it moves us forward in the passage. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Eudia and I plead with Syncate to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clemente and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Paul begins this section by saying, stand firm in the Lord in this way. That's his signal to us that he's going to give us now some very practical handheld guidance for when things get rocky and the world gets intense. And I want you to hear, we're going to have to go through these pretty quickly, but they're also pretty, well, they're pretty self-explanatory. So let's walk our way through them. The first thing Paul says is he says, actively work to address conflict. Now, it's hard to read Philippians if you've been following along with us and not hear Paul's heart for unity. But in this passage, he is actually articulating a couple of principles that I think are really encouraging for me, although difficult. The first thing he recognizes is that 
unity doesn't magically happen. We have to pursue conflict and actively work to address it. And let me just tell you, friends, I would much prefer to ghost people. Can I get an amen? There's a way most of us would rather work around conflict, walk to the other side of the grocery store when we see that person. We'd rather do this than this. But Paul says it is so critical that we address conflict that he actually says sometimes we're going to need help. That's also encouraging to me. Although it invites some humility because I don't like to tell people I can't figure this out. It means things like calling therapists and making appointments, which is hard for those of us who are Dutch. It means inviting other people to help give their perspective. And it means that conflict is not a new thing, friends. It's easy to watch the world around us and think it's, been, it's never been worse. No, it has. Conflict has existed from the beginning of time. And Paul says how we walk in it says a lot about who we serve. So, first thing, get active to work to address conflict. The second thing, Paul says, is rejoice in the Lord. Now, I think a lot of us imagine that following this command looks something like this. Right? Put on the happy face, the Pollyanna. We imagine that rejoicing in the Lord in every circumstance always means we have to deny what is true. Once again, I find Paul very practical in this space because for him, rejoicing is not a response to circumstances. It is a theological act. It is a theological act. You heard him say, rejoice in who? The Lord, not in our circumstances. Paul says our invitation is to fix our eyes, to look at who God is, to remember his faithfulness and his character, his promises, that in any circumstance we're in, we can choose to worship, to rejoice in who God is. And that is why corporate worship is important. Because when we gather together, whether we're online or here in the room, we're reminded who God is. That act of gathering actually helps us rejoice in the Lord. All right, so let's keep moving. We first are called to work to address conflict and then rejoice in the Lord. And then Paul goes on to say, be gentle with everyone. The parentheses are mine, including yourself. Anybody else get impatient and frustrated when things don't go your way? This is the moment where I am most likely to not be gentle. And yet, Paul says, this is part of what it means to stand firm. Now, once again, I think we have to battle against our presuppositions of what gentleness means. I think that many of us think that gentleness is kind of mushy, mushy and passive. It's a lot like a carrot that gets boiled in water. Any of you have middle, Midwest mothers who boiled the snot out of carrots? I love you, Mom. I really did love your cooking, except the mushy carrots. But this is what happens, right? With carrots, when you put them in a high heat environment, they soften and they disintegrate. The environment 
actually makes them weaker. But that's not gentleness. Gentleness is not insisting on every right according to the original language. It's choosing to yield, choosing to be kind and courteous, even when it's difficult, even when we're in hot water. Actually, it looks a lot more like coffee. See, coffee beans, when they're put into boiling water, well, they transform the environment rather than the environment transforming them. And I believe that's what gentleness does. I think that's what gentleness in particular does in these days. It's such a difference in posture. And we are called, now gentleness does not mean we are not honest. Gentleness does not work against truth and justice, but it means that fundamentally how we approach, and by the way, did you notice, let your gentleness be evident to all. I'm like, Paul, could you just leave off the all? I really want to not be gentle with people with whom I disagree fundamentally, or with my child who's annoying me, or my spouse. And yet Paul says gentleness says a lot about our vision of the good news. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And the only reason that's possible is because the Lord is near, Paul says. All right, actively work to address conflict. Rejoice in the Lord. Be gentle with everyone. Cultivate the act of prayer instead of anxiety. Now, I just want to say publicly, I last uh, winter, December 12th, actually preached a passage, preached about this particular passage. And I talked about the difference between clinical anxiety and worry. And I want to, in any way, do not want to in any way diminish clinical anxiety. It is a very real thing. And if you want to know more, you can go back and listen to that sermon. But there is a well-known neurological fact the synapses or connections in our brain grow or die based on the amount of traffic they carry. So in other words, our thought patterns that are most heavily used get stronger and faster. And the thought patterns that we don't use, well, they grow weaker and they become less the road becomes less easy to take. It's a lot like the difference between a superhighway and a gravel road. And so my question is, where do the interstates in my mind take me? Where do your thought patterns naturally go? I will confess that if I am not very deliberate, my thought patterns, my superhighway goes to worry. Because I imagine if I worry, I can fix it, which is not true. And so what Paul is reminding us this morning in a very tangible way is to ask, does the thought patterns of your life move you towards God or towards anxiety? Do you pray to fix things or do you pray to surrender? Do you pray for control or to connect with God? And Paul invites us to actually keep building the superhighway towards God, trusting that God is with us in even the worst circumstances. So practically, Paul's inviting us to pray. 
And he uses multiple words to do that. We are not going to unpack all of those words. Let's just suffice it to say all the prayers. God invite, Paul invites us to pray, to bring our worry to God. All right, actively re- working to re- address conflict, rejoicing in the Lord, being gentle with everyone, cultivating the act of prayer instead of anxiety. And then Paul says, feed your mind and soul with good things. Friends, I can tell how stressed I am by what I consume. Anybody else? When I am stressed, I want grease, I want sugar, I want comfy pants, and I want TikTok. That's what I want. I want to consume things that are really not that good for me, but actually make me feel better in the temporary. But Paul invites us this morning to recognize that that only works in the short term. And that really, the invitation is to actually feed ourselves with good things. Now, again, here's a place where the little words matter. I love that Paul is not picky. Yes, those good things are reading your Bible and listening to worship music, but did you notice he said, whatever is good and noble and excellent and praiseworthy? That includes things like good art and good music and good stories and good baseball games and good football games. Those are rare for Nebraska fans, I will acknowledge, so I don't watch those as part of this. Here's the thing. We have to choose to be people who hunger for goodness, who are curious for excellence, because it is so easy, again, when the temperature gets high, when the press comes, pressure comes in, is how many of us start looking for the negative and the cynical and the judgmental. And we watch and we wait and we're critical and we're angry. And Paul says, no, 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 choose. Choose. Fix your eyes on what is good and excellent. And then there's one more. This is the last one. He says, don't just think about doing these things. Do them. How many of you know there is a difference between thinking, I'd love to run a half marathon, and running a half marathon? Right? So we can sit and listen to a sermon like this, and we're like, oh, yeah, I should do that. But if we don't actually do it, then it won't actually, God won't have the opportunity to work in us. There are holy habits that Paul is inviting us into this morning that don't earn us God's love or salvation. They cultivate within us faith, hope, and love. And so it feels right to me that we would actually just stop and ask, what's God inviting you to? today. And by the way, you can't pick seven things, because if you pick seven things, how many of them will get done? Pick one. Pick one thing, one place where maybe you're going to choose to avoid conflict and pursue resolution, where you're not going to complain, but you're going to actually work to rejoice in who God is. One place where you may need to 
consciously choose prayer when you feel yourself worrying. So I want to invite you right now, just in the quietness of this moment, to ask God, is there one step you want me to take this morning? And then commit to doing it. Now, friends, the only way that we can actually do that is with the help of God. See, the center of this passage is Paul's reminder, the Lord is near. You and I were not left alone to do these things, to walk the life of faith. We are reminded that God came and pursued us so that we could live lives of freedom.